The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of The State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined, as always, by Hudson Standish. And uh, Hudson, you've done a lot of podcast talking uh, over the past couple of days, uh, launching your own thing and uh, working with some others. Uh, Before we get into today's show, I would like to say how are you and uh, give you a chance to plug your upcoming work. Appreciate you, Mike. Yeah, uh, first... The debut episode of Talking Texas with um, a rotating panel of guests just dropped. It's going to be in your podcast feed or on the YouTube, Horns 24-7 YouTube. Um, brought on Stephen Gotti from Fanatic, Fanatic Perspective, one of my favorite content creators in kind of the Texas Longhorns ecosystem. Really enjoyed that conversation. Part two is on our feed and part one is on his channel fanatic perspective kind of a home and home and uh yeah it's really exciting and just for any i'll get this plug out of the way for you mike so you don't have to say it for those uh watching on youtube right now or if you're listening on uh spotify apple go ahead and give us a five-star review or just a really quick and easy like and subscribe it doesn't take that long and it helps us out a ton uh when kind of going over goals and talking with uh, the higher ups. So Mike, I'll throw it back to you. Yes, please do those things. If you like the show, please support the show. Um, all right. Well, it's uh, we're, I guess we're finally here to official visit weekend number one of the year for Texas. A uh, small group coming in, but a uh, a powerful group. Nonetheless, when you look at the, uh, the prospects that will be there, um, we've got a full preview up on Horns 24-7. Um, as you're hearing this, it will come out, uh, later this morning. Um, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, I think let's just, uh, hold on. (coughs) You good, Mike? Yeah. Sorry. I, uh, I just got done with like a workout. So, uh, I'm usually, uh, usually winded after, after those sorts of things, as you can see, I'm not in too great a shape, but we're trying to, we're trying to get there. Um, Let's start with the big name, Cedric Baxter, the four-star running back from uh, Edgewater in Orlando, Florida. Uh, really a kind of a heated battle starting to form for him. Um, as coming into the weekend, you know, we've talked a lot in the past that we've been hearing a lot of uh, confidence from Texas on that front. And I think that, you know, we, we expected this weekend to be a big weekend for Texas um, with in that regard, I think going into it, it's kind of like we felt Texas and A&M with Miami kind of lurking in the picture. But, you know, there have been some reports out there that Alabama um, has kind of made a push. Hudson, you and I both talked to sources regarding that who aren't as confident that Alabama is as strong as people are uh, saying in this recruitment right now. I think it's always safe and we say all this time. Number one thing you don't you, you don't want to count out Alabama, um, especially not in recruiting, not in recruiting at all. But 
you know, how do you see from, uh, you know, based on from what you've heard and from what I've heard, um, you know, are you buying Alabama in this or are you, uh, what are you thinking? No, I, I, I'm not. I, we've heard from sources at a couple different places that that was a little bit out of the blue and they're not buying it. So Mike, I think kind of our initial reporting on this, that Texas, Texas A&M and kind of Miami um, and Florida's in the mix as well, but those are more of the schools than Alabama. And of course, wouldn't be shocking if Alabama made up ground, but there was a little bit of hesitancy when we initially saw that report. And then after talking with sources on the collegiate and just, you know, uh, at the high school level too, didn't smell a little fishy and I, I don't know, it doesn't seem to match up with what we're hearing. Um, yeah, I think there's always, uh, this is kind of my favorite and least favorite time of the year, right? Because like summer camps start, there's kids on campuses everywhere. And like people treat these things like they're stocks, right? Like they're just constantly moving up and down recruitments. And, you know, outside of a few cases, they're really not, um, they're, they're kind of. No, I won't, I don't want to say set in stone. There is always room for movement, but they're not just constantly fluctuating throughout the day. I don't think kids were really sitting at home going, "Okay, I know I liked Alabama three hours ago, but now I'm really high on Georgia." You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not that type of thing. Yeah. So, you know, I think we'll get asked weekly on the board, like, uh, "Where do things stand now with this kid?" It's like uh, pretty much the same as it was last week. You know, it's it's more of a steady rise and steady build. I think Texas has been making a steady build in this recruitment behind Deshard Choice. That's a long-standing relationship he has from his time at Georgia Tech. Um, and so I think the weekend visit will be big. It was big in the spring when he came. I think he really liked Texas then. Um, they were able to kind of solidify that to get him back to campus uh, for an official visit. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I've heard NIL is is obviously an important factor in this one. Um, can't hurt that Bijan drives a Lamborghini and now Quinn drives an Aston Martin. Um, have a couple of those parked in the parking lot. And, uh, you know, you could kind of see what the potential is at Texas. Uh, but from a fit perspective, and you and I were kind of talking about this, like when you look at him versus a Ruben Owens or uh uh, you know, some of the nationally elite ranked backs. How do you see his fit and kind of what, what stands out about him as a player? Mike, I, I, we talked about this. He's the complete package. Cedric Baxter is absolutely the complete package. And even though he is always said, oh, that's four-star running back, Cedric Baxter. I mean, we at 24-7 have him as the number 29 player in the nation, I believe. This is an absolutely elite running back who is right up there with Ruben Owens battling for those one and two spots in the nation. So in addition to just him as a player being the complete package of he can win with power, he has the jump cut ability to stack cuts in the open field, he can win with speed, just the ability to run any type of um, you know scheme, whether it's zone or like power or even hanging in there and blocking um, and showing that third down ability with being able to catch the ball in the backfield too. He does it all. So Texas being able to pursue Baxter along with Ruben Owens, the likely uh, composite top two backs in the nation, 
is just an insane testament to how good of a recruiter Tashard Choice is, not even mentioning that they got Trey Wisner earlier in the spring. So, Mike, something I wanted to kind of bounce off of you as well when it comes to Cedric Baxter, like we've been talking about, and this, but we have, and then also Texas fans, it's kind of always been the big three for Texas and Arch Manning, Ruben Owens, and John Day Cook in that 23 class. But now with Baxter, you have a legit possibility that that big three, that hypothetical big three of in-state guys could break up, but you're just kind of potentially substituting it for another elite guy. Not even to mention, Mike, that Texas and Texas A&M are both heavily pursuing and may be the top choices for Owens and Baxter. So you could end up with a dominoes or a potential trade-off there too. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think I think what stood out to me watching Baxter on film, and I rewatched him this weekend, uh, probably for the first time since early spring. He's so big, and like you can see it on film, um, how big he is. And I think like when you contrast it to Ruben Owens, who you and I have seen in person, and Ruben is very impressively put together, but you don't necessarily see that when you look at the film. Um, I think looking at Baxter, it's just it's it's so apparent, you know, um, and the way he moves in like small spaces for his size, he doesn't, he corners like, like a, like a Ferrari, more like a Ferrari and less like a cruise ship with, you know, a lot of those bigger guys, you look at tight hips and they're not able to shake out of spaces and things like that. So um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's an incredible development for Texas to be kind of have gone from, you know, a school I think people were mentioning as a dark horse at sometimes in the spring to now we're talking about, okay, these are the legitimate contenders. Um, and I think it shows uh, again, what we kind of thought to choice might bring to the table when he was hired uh, to already have them in the, in the race for a nationally elite back from out of state. Um, so yeah, we'll see kind of how things shake out and what the buzz is coming out of this weekend. Uh, visitor number two, Leona Lifau from uh, Kahuku in Hawaii. Uh, the <laughs> I don't know how much you've watched of Leona. I would just say he is like one of the more fun players to watch on film. Oh, yeah. uh, he's not your classically like Anthony Hill, uh, Darian Gillette, like big bodied linebacker, but just instinctive as hell and like aggressive as can be, you know, just flies downhill finds the ball, tackles the ball. Like that's, that's Leona's thing. So um, really love the film. What, before we kind of get into the recruitment, what are your, your thoughts on him as a player? Yeah. You want to kind of, you do want to stay away from stereotypes in recruiting, especially, but it's hard not to just think about the long list of Polynesian linebackers. And then you turn on Leona Leifau's film and you're like, Oh yeah, well, that's why some of that, uh, is there because you're right, Mike, he tracks and smacks. He's extremely instinctive. And something that I think that, you know, and that um, a lot of the two, four, seven West coast guys have kind of mentioned, like the competition in Hawaii is actually pretty damn good considering the smaller uh, size of the state. And the fact that they're so isolated that they don't really get to have that state versus state competition. But I mean, I'm extremely impressed it it does seem like it's going to be a challenge. I we've heard encouraging things about Texas's pursuit, but you know it's it's a long way away from the islands to Austin. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the bigger hurdle is that um, and it's not just that like the distance and all of those things. It's like Polynesians as a community are very close together. They're very family oriented. They like being around other Polynesians for the most part, in my experience, covering them. And Texas has uh, one Polynesian on the roster and one Polynesian working for the team. Um so it's not as much the numbers. And when you go up against a school like Utah or a school like Oregon, which is just littered all over uh, with those type of players, there's a lot more comfortable ties there. I think in many ways, I would almost compare this recruitment to kind of like Lander Barton's recruitment um, from, from last year, where it was, he likes the fit. He likes Jeff Choate. He likes Austin. But at the end of the day, is he going to be able to get out of his comfort zone and go somewhere that's more of an unknown than kind of the other schools? And we'll see. You know, I, I know talking to Leona, he is a bit of a independent spirit. Um, so I don't think he's necessarily tied to staying out west. But then again, when you kind of look at the schools that are mentioned for him, one of the one of the things is not like the other. And uh it's the fact that we're talking about all mountain or West coast time zone schools and then Texas. So I think um, for them to have a big weekend with him, I, I think they've got to smash it, like knock it out of the park to, to really come out of this weekend feeling good about their chances. And Mike, that's something that can absolutely happen in official visits. Like you, we've seen it a couple times with this first round. Um, and I think we'll see it a lot for the second round. Like there are guys that are trending one way and then the official visit gets crushed. And it's like, it, it forces recruits really to reevaluate things. And if Texas plays their cards right, I could absolutely sing it be one of those cases where when we're writing the post uh, national signing day recap, it's, Hey, this uh, second week of June official visit was what started the ability to end up closing on. Yeah, I mean it's gonna it's gonna have to be. So uh, we'll we'll uh, again we'll monitor that. And then Spencer Shannon, the tight end from Modern Day. Uh, you and I, I've seen him a couple times this spring. So I'm in uh, seven on seven in Las Vegas back in February, I think. Uh, Hudson, you got to see him just eyeball him up close at the spring game. Um, he's uh, he's every bit of his listed size. Yeah, he's every bit of six foot seven, two forty, and I immediately watched his film and just really. Uh, was impressed because that was around the time when we were starting to piece together like, okay, maybe with the amount of offers that are going out and some of the things we're hearing behind the scene, Lafayette KOA is not going to be in the class. And we know that they're going to try to get somebody to pair with a potential of Will Randall. And even if Will Randall doesn't end up in the class, they're going to take two tight ends. So this guy could be a legitimate take. Let's watch the film. And I thought that he was fantastic. Obviously, Anyone listening to this, it takes no amount of inside knowledge to know that uh, playing at modern day high school just absolutely prepares you for the next level. And he's playing at a high at a high level too. just his play on the field. So UCLA and Washington in the mix there. Texas seems to be getting the last visit. So it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, UCLA has kind of been the school talked about. I think Washington made a big push on their official visit. Um, but I don't think Texas is out of it at all or even needs to make a big jump. I think they just need to have a good visit. I think they really killed it when he was down here for the spring game. Um, there's opportunity to be had there with, with Jalil uh, Billingsley moving on likely after the season. And so 
I, I guess my question to you is within the current scheme of things, you know, I think Texas is heavy on guys like Jaleel Billingsley who are big, long athletic receiving targets um, who are probably a little bit of a liability as run blockers. Shannon can kind of do it all. Now he's not the athlete that Sanders and uh, Billingsley are as far as a receiver, but he's certainly a dynamic, maybe not dynamic. He's certainly a receiving threat. Um, what do you see as like your uh, looking at Sark's offense? What's perfect fit kind of for that position? He's going to be that in line. I believe they use the Y. So you have your Y and your H. Jaleel Billingsley is the H type to where they can flex him out. They can they they can put him almost as an H back at times. So when you're running play action, uh, he will go opposite submarine into the flat. Um, whereas Spencer Shannon's going to be attached to a tackle more than likely but mike i was look i was looking at his film and i was looking at his measurables compared to a lot of other nfl tight ends that get drafted and these are the type of guys that do end up get draft getting drafted i looked and there were like three different tight ends this year that were drafted in the nfl that had less than 30 career catches you do not have really? to be you do not have to be some Freak. I mean, a perfect example is the fact that Jalen Weidermeyer won the Mackey Award, I believe, and was a All-American tight end and didn't get drafted because his measurables were pretty horrible, even though he had a ton of production at Texas A&M, where a lot of these uh, second tight ends at Cincinnati are getting drafted in the league because blocking does matter so much for that position, even if, even if the receiving ability doesn't necessarily match up. But the thing is, I kind of think that Spencer Shannon could be a really solid, good receiving option. I, I agree with you that he's not a Jaleel Billingsley, Jatavian Sanders, where you can throw it to him on a comeback and he can maybe make a uh, make a guy miss in the open field. But he does strike me as that type of red zone threat or even just third down target to where I can throw Spencer, Sand uh, sorry, <laughs> Spencer Shannon a uh, dig. He can use his catch radius with you know his six foot seven frame and good arm length, get it, and maybe make a couple people miss, but like not in the dynamic explosive way, but just in the being a tough physical football player. I think that he could be a potential NFL draft pick. I really do. Yeah, he's definitely like I said. I think you got the appreciation having seen him up close. I remember the first time I saw him, I just was amazed at how massive he was and how like well put together he was for oh, yeah. as big as he is. Um, and to your point, like Jeff Swaim is cashing checks in the NFL to this day, and I think he had like five career catches in college. So, uh, yeah, certainly can can find a place for guys like I think NFL teams want guys that can block in the run game, guys that can play on special teams, and guys that can, when you need a seven yards on a first down, can go seven yards and catch the ball. Like, it's not – it's great to have um, Kyle Pitts. Like, it's great to have a guy like Kyle Pitts, right? But yep. it's not it's not a necessary thing. Um, so that's our mm -hmm. list of official visitors for the weekend. There's also going to be a lot of unofficial visitors on campus as Texas is hosting a large group of uh, underclassmen. Uh, we've kind of been talking about it a little bit on the site this week. Um, it, it's kind of headlined uh, by a few guys. 
Uh, but Julian Sayan, uh, the the quarterback from uh, in 2024 that Texas seems to be all in now on now that Dylan Rayola's moved on, uh, it picked Ohio State. Uh, there'll be some other big names there. Freddie Dubose, our guy from from Church Clemens, uh, will be there. Uh, and we've uh, we've broken some other ones this week, Hudson, including one of your uh, one of your favorites. Yeah, honestly, my two of my favorites. I reported earlier in the week that Micah Hudson, the five-star wide receiver, number two player in the state, number 16 in the nation, is going to be making his first visit to Texas. Um, I mean, the – God, Mike, I think I'm just going to hit you with the take. I think he's the best receiver in the state of the Texas period um, at the high school level, regardless of classification. That's just kind of how I feel about it. The comps that I've used in the past have been Garrett Wilson or CeeDee Lamb. I get, I truly get that those are lofty comparisons, both first-round wide receivers. And that sounds a little bit crazy for a guy that still hasn't played two of his uh, high school football seasons. But when you watch the sophomore tape and you see his explosive ability, you get the full picture that this is going to be the next big guy out of the state of Texas. And it is imperative that Brennan Marion continues his good relationship, but expands it to that next level with Micah on campus this weekend. I think it's one of the most important, if not the most important underclassman that's going to be on campus this, uh, this upcoming weekend. And in addition to Micah, one of my guys, Terry Bussey from Timpson, Texas, absolutely killed it at the uh, Texas A&M camp last night got invited to Texas this weekend and is going to be making a return trip to Texas after he camped there last summer. So one of the most dynamic and productive players in the state took a Timpson program. And Mike, you know this, but for those who don't know, took a Timpson program that is a two A school in the middle of East Texas, perennially overshadowed by their neighbor for a Carthage. You might've heard of them only have, you know, 11 state titles or whatever. I know it's more like seven or eight, but um perennially overshadowed and took them from kind of a average to good program and got them to back-to-back state semifinals likely if the brooks brothers weren't at shiner timpson could have had back-to-back state titles but terry bussey will be on campus that's somebody that i'm kind of looking at as a potential uh offer alert and mike somebody that i think you either first reported or you told me forever ago that this visit was going to happen. Uh, there is going to be a 2024 IMG Academy running back on campus, I believe. Yeah, and we are going to talk about that in just one second before we're going to, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, we're going to send you to a word from our sponsors. So sometimes like when you gave the hot take just a second ago, I wish I had like a DJ board or I could just be like hot take. Hot oh yeah. Take, hot take. <laughs> um, yeah. There, so there's going to be a few different guys on campus this weekend. And really to, if you're to shard choice, you got to be psyched because he is getting um, from what I believe, basically what they believe is one of the best running backs in 2023 in Cedric Baxter. They're getting one of the best running backs in 2025 in modern days, Jordan Davison, um, who is a monster. And as guys out West tell me, you know, has some Najee like potential um, guys I trust out West. Um, and then also you mentioned IMG. Uh, obviously the, the Florida prep school is always big 
in churning out prospects. But Jarrett Gibson, who's our number one rated running back in the 2024 class, will be on campus. I talked to Gibson a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was kind of circling this visit. So, uh, yeah, I think some some really big names um, from that perspective. I'm going to kind of go away from that. I'm going to go to my Terry Bussey, my version of Terry Bussey on this podcast, and that's uh, Akari Johnson, also an East Texan. And you want to talk about a guy that tore up a camp. Akari Johnson was uh, incredible at SMU camp from Texarkana, Pleasant Grove, plays quarterback and cornerback there uh, both ways for the Hawks and is a kid that I think just has limitless potential when it comes, when you look at his length and athleticism and the way he plays. Um, what really impressed me at the SMU camp, and we'll talk a little more about that camp in a moment, but um, he's very cerebral with the way he plays corner. Um, it's not just athlete ball out there. He's reading receivers. Um, he's taking away you know, certain parts of their routes and beating them almost to the top of the route. And, and that, in him he was uh here's a little here's a little side note for you that little a little little tease note that uh pleasant grove head coach uh josh gibson told me he was voted by the teachers at uh pleasant grove as the best human basically it was the award for like the best human at their school um by the teachers so also an elite human it appears and so uh yeah really excited that uh he is getting the the call uh, right after he finished that SMU camp, got the call to come down to Texas uh, next week, and I think will uh, could be a guy also in line for an offer in that 2024 class. Um, Hudson, I know there's a bunch of others. Have we forgotten any headliners uh, from this weekend? I did want to mention one. As you know, Mike, a lot of times what happens is uh, like we we kind of have tunnel vision, stay in our own lane, but a lot of times reports from other sites and other boards will find their way onto our board. Understandably so. A lot of people are trying to just stay in the loop on everything Texas football. Um, but I did see that there was a report out from somebody that uh, Jaquez Petaway was going to be taking an unofficial to Texas this weekend. And I just wanted to say, I, I confirmed with him, that's not going to happen. He's going to be going down to uh, Ole Miss as previously scheduled. But I think there was some sort of confusion in that there is another I checked with the source. There's a chance that Jonah Wilson could take an unofficial to um, Texas this weekend. But there was a little bit of confusion there. And I just wanted to make sure everybody was not expecting Jaquez Petaway to show up for an unofficial <laughs> the week before his official for some reason. So that, yeah, that I mean, was- that, that'd be a huge development, but it's not going to happen. No. <laughs> um, and the thing is, too, Mike, there are a ton of 24s and 25s that um, I'm even just thinking about right now that we could mention. But it's almost one of those things of we could go down the list, but there are just going to be so many guys there. It's better just to see them on the day, not worry about having to track down some mega list that people aren't going to even care about that much because everybody's still locked in on 2023 uh, recruiting. So, um We'll see the day of who all shows up. The thing that we know for sure, though, is it's going to be an absolutely loaded group. Yeah, you're going to be want to be on the site that day because we'll have a lot of live updates. We'll have a lot of coverage after the event um, and things of that nature. I'm toying around with how we're going to cover the official visits this year because I did some things last year that I think worked in some spots and I think had bugs in other spots. So uh, still figuring out kind of how I want to do that, but uh, it's going to be a big weekend on the site. So um, if you look at the bottom of the screen, 
you can join Hornets 24-7 today, get 30% off your first year um, and, and get a great deal. And you're going to want to do that before Arch Manning visits next weekend and we really start churning out updates. By the way, if we're correcting other reports on guys who are visiting, there was a report out there, I believe, that Jonte Cook uh, was looking at making a visit the same uh, weekend as Arch on an unofficial spoke to Jonte, and he told me he will be at Oregon that weekend. But we do expect Jonte to make it down at some point this summer. Um, so anyways, um, all right, let's move on to, uh, I guess, our final segment of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the SMU camp uh, that, that took place in Dallas last weekend, which Texas was at. Um, I was there in attendance for both days, so I saw both, uh, you know, all sessions and – I think off the bat, like the first, and I wrote about this kind of in in uh, in the uh, the three and out last Sunday, which is a new column we're doing for you people that wanted weekend content. You're getting a new column out of me on Sunday mornings, um, and the big thing that I took away from it was, I just think Tashar Choice is going to be a star. Like watching him at that camp interact with the players and other coaches and the amount of coaches that were like just gathered around him and just kind of the presence he has on a field. Like you can tell a lot about guys watching them in those environments with other coaches. And um, I just think he, he really has that star potential. He's like a guy that he just kind of makes everybody around him feel good. He's got a great smile. He's always telling jokes, you know, but he's also obviously extremely accomplished as both a player and now, you know, getting there as a coach. And, man, that was the biggest thing for me. Now, Choice was the only coach that spent both days, all sessions there, as Texas was kind of shuffling around in between a couple different camps in the state. Sark was there early Friday, left to go to Houston, and came back and was there all day on Saturday. Jeff Banks was with him. Blake Gideon came for a period of time. Terry Joseph was there on Friday. AJ Milwee was there on Friday. Um, I think that's it. I don't think I'm leaving it. I mean, Brittany Marion showed up on Saturday. Um, so it was a really good showing by the Texas staff. And, and you know, those guys got out there. They, you know, <laughs> those mega camps, man, a lot of times you just have guys standing around talking to each other. It's like an AFCA convention and not really watching. And I think if you're a parent that pays a lot of money so your kid will be seen at this camp, you know, that you'd kind of look at that and be like, well, I don't love that. But, you know, there were – I, the first session on Saturday, Marion was out there right behind the line of receivers, and he was grabbing guys from this group, being like, I want to see you go up against that corner, and I want to see you do this better, and, and things like that. So it was fun. It's always fun to watch them interact and work in a in a space like that. I know you mentioned as well that uh, former Texas coach and current SMU coach uh, Craig Niver was also one of the coaches that kind of stands out in uh, situations like that and camps like that is – you know, a really good teacher and everything. Yeah, we were, uh, it was uh, me and um, and a couple of uh, media guys were walking around the practice field in day one, session one, and Niver was running the safety drills and he's throwing bullets. Like they're doing like, you know, a three-step cut, like 90 degree cut and, or like a 45 degree cut and just throw and locate the ball. And I kind of was behind them, and there were a couple times it went through their hands, and I had to do one of these, you know, to to not get hit in the face. And uh, I, I, 
you know, in between sessions, we were kind of in the hospitality room and Niver came by and said, Hey, I was trying to take your, I was trying to buzz your tower a little bit out there. So he's, he's extremely noticeable. He's, uh, he's loud. He's, he coaches with passion. I, I just, I love that guy to death. I think he's, he's great at what he does. So, um, as far as prospects there, I would group them into two categories, like guys that caught my eye and then what I would call the Hudson category, which is the Euros. Um, we, we did see a bunch of Euros uh, during that weekend. Um, and, and not to say that those guys didn't catch my eye either because there were no. uh, there were there were a couple uh, for sure. Um, so I already talked about Akari Johnson. 2025 Colleyville Heritage running back Riley Wormley was another guy that Shard Choice was following around. Um Dalen McCutcheon, a 2025 wide receiver out of Lovejoy, looks like he has got a special future ahead of him. And Marion was definitely attached to his hip. So it was some really good, uh, really good performances. What I loved most was Tayshawn Wilson showing up, didn't need to camp, has offers from most of the schools that were in attendance, and told the SMU staff, I just didn't feel the competition was as good at the Oklahoma camp, so I needed some more competition. Um, and, and just competed his butt off like always. So uh, I love that kid to death. I think um, it was cool kind of – Hudson, you've had this passion for the Europeans and the get, the way the game is being grown over there through places like the NFL Academy in London and PPI, which is a recruiting company over in that area. And they've had some big prospects. We got to meet a lot of those prospects, meet their coaches, meet the guys bringing them around. And it is so cool to see those guys working and investing in getting those kids over there because, you know, I think if you're born in England, you know, football is obviously not top of mind for anybody there. And if you're a six foot six, 330 pound offensive mm-hmm. lineman, it's like you're probably not making it in soccer. Um, so at that point, it's like, okay, well, what other avenues? And, and we met a kid who uh, just, really an incredible kid, an incredible story. I met him and he just had this big smile. He was, um, it, it, it was such a, it was such just a magnetic smile. His name was Daniel. I'm going to butcher this. I think it's Akinkumi. Akinkumi. And he's probably, I don't know. What do we have him listed? Six. So I, I did check. He's legit 6'4", 320. 320. Really doesn't know what he's doing with his hands yet, and you could tell because, like, when guys would get into his body, he'd just wrap them up like this. But, like, teach that kid to use his hands, and he's going to be a nightmare for some teams. Came in with nothing, walked away with Washington State, Arkansas, and North Texas. Um, I think were the schools that offered kind of right off the bat. And, like, hearing his story was awesome because he it's a kid who lives, you know, three and a half hours north of London. He travels – three and a half hours every single day uh, there and back. So we're talking almost seven, eight hour round trips every day to go to the NFL Academy in London uh, to train and to get these opportunities. And he made the most of his opportunities. You know, he camped in Houston, camped in Dallas. And then I think he went to like North Texas and camped or something like that. He carries a portable microwave with him to cook his own food and, and make sure he has meals and all that sort of thing. And they, his coach told me, he goes, you know, we'll look up. It'll be about the same time every morning. Here comes Daniel off the, off the train platform with his portable microwave tucked under his arm. So um, I laughed. I joke tweeted like, and you guys, some of these guys in Texas can't make it to summer workouts, you know, because they can't find a ride. It's just seeing the commitment and um, 
you know, the desire to be great. I really love Hudson. Do you want to talk more about kind of what those guys are doing over there in, in those areas? Yeah. And real quick on Daniel too, Mike and I kind of threw around potentially even doing a little podcast interview with him just because it is such an interesting story. And it's such a great testament to hard work that he's going 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. four days a week. In addition to all of his other duties, he's all, he's uh, a 2024. He's only six. He just turned 16 years old. But he has the ability to reclassify into the 2023 class as well, which is why I think you saw a lot of the Washington State, Arkansas is maybe taking more of a chance on him because they know that they could get him in early. Uh, Mike, I love this too because you and I are, we listen to a lot of podcasts. We love podcasts. And we're doing one of my favorite tropes right now, which is, okay, I think, you know, that's about it. We're going to wrap up the show. And then people look at their podcast and they're like, wait, there's still 45 minutes left. I guess Hudson just talked about European. Mike wants to ask Hudson about European guys. Exactly. Um, so real quick, I've written this before. I've talked about it. I genuinely think right now where we are with European American football prospects, in addition to African and Asian uh, prospects that find their way to Europe, because they're, right now it's just there's kind of not – that African and Asian continental pipeline to uh, college football, but you are seeing it with Europe especially. So what you're getting at is kind of what it was like in the NBA in the late 80s and early 90s when front offices started to figure out, okay, we can bring these guys over for value, maybe refine a couple of things, and then end up getting a discount, you know, great player at this price. Or if we're a struggling team, we can kind of manufacture our way into a great talent like this. And you're starting to see that slow ramp with football as well. And it's really encouraging because, Mike, you can – I mean, what was the main thing that we talked about when we made the drive from Dallas to Austin for the UIL straight – State track meet. It was about all these guys, especially from PPI, but also the NFL Academy. And at the time, of course, before they make the uh, trip over for this camp, they have zero offers. So you're really having to, for lack of a better term, put it on the table and trust your eyes with how you see these guys only in workouts of, okay, this guy has zero offers, but I legit believe in him and think that he's going to be a power five football player. And then these coaches see them. And instead of uh, two years ago where you have three or four guys that get college football offers. And then last year you get a good group, probably the best ever with guys like Hiro Kanu and uh, Thomas Collins, Lucas Simmons, uh, Theodore Ostrom, who ended up at A&M. And you have about eight guys that go play college football to where this year, I believe now the total is you have 17 European kids that have earned college football offers during the camp circuit season, headlined by a couple of potential freaks. And I think uh, Emmerich Kumba from Paris, France, who is a six foot five edge rusher with a seven two wingspan. And Mike, I do want you to touch on this real quick because you have a little bit more, not a little bit, you have more credibility than I do talking about this, having talk to the PPI and NFL Academy guys in person and having just been in the industry this long, a lot of times some train, like let's just get a little bit of real talk. Sometimes some trainers and some uh, 
people that do these tours and they're kind of in that space can show you some bread or so show you some guys that you know aren't gonna be anything at the next level but what these european uh prospects and tour like uh ppi and nfl academy what they've done is they're making sure that they're bringing no fat at all on these trips so everybody you see clearly has a level whether it's fcs or fbs to play football yeah there's a lot of times these guys will go on tours in the u.s and uh i, I specifically talking about u.s trainers and seven on seven teams and you'll get you'll have to take on 30 kids that you'll never recruit just to get a chance to talk to one or two of them or get them on your camp. That's kind of the deal. Whereas this is, I mean, and I think the other thing is like, there's almost an entitlement issue in America of like, well, I believe this kid should go to this school. And I believe that this kid should go to that school because they grow up thinking about those schools and watching those schools. Whereas That's in right. Europe, you don't have that. So they're just like, they bring their kids and you can see them talking to coaches. They're like that kid over there. We think he's good for power five. That kid over there. He's probably a G five kid. That kid over there. He's probably an FCS kid. And they're not wasting, you know, the big school's time with the kids that'll never get recruited there and, and vice versa. So I think, it, it, it hits different because they're ready to hit the ground and go camp everywhere, uh, go work their butts off for uh, for their offers because they know that going to camps like that's the only real chance they have. Their football over there is still not to the level where people are just going to respect the film, right? I think that those guys have to go do those workouts and they really have to smash them. And so, uh, yeah, being seeing that and seeing just the way they go about the entire thing, I think is impressive. And it's a lot of guys that are uh, a lot of adults who are working behind the scenes to make sure that that happens, make sure these kids are able to get the best out of their chances. And I think it's really cool. And I'm going to call our boss and propose. We take it. We got to get Daniel maybe recruited by Texas so that I can propose. We take a field trip to London uh, to go to the NFL Academy. Yeah, no joke. And Mike, I was kind of going to, uh, make that joke as well. When you talked about adults behind the scenes, uh, kind of making sure that these developments happen and that there is a pipeline from Europe to, uh, to America, those adults over at the, uh, NFL national football league may know a thing or two. So the fact that, you know, one of the main exporters of talent is literally an NFL institution kind of shows you about how the league sees this potential trend. So I guess one thing I guess I want to close on with this is I told you to this. I told you this yesterday. And as soon as we get off the podcast, I'm going to write it up so people will either go to the article or have read it already. But Kyle Flood's also been in contact with one of the NFL Academy guys and uh, Rollins Asuga from London, NFL Academy, uh, committed to uh, New Mexico Military Institute and is going to be a JUCO kid that's going to pick up a lot, of, um, a lot of interest. He just got offered by Louisiana yesterday. Oklahoma has been in contact. Oregon State's been in contact. That's going to be a really intriguing one to follow because that's another guy at six foot six, borderline six foot seven, 285 pounds. That's similar to Daniel Akinkumi, doesn't exactly get it as far as hand placement goes. But these hand placement problems that Mike and I are talking about with the offensive linemen there, it's not because they're not well coached. They're they're extremely well coached. They have great 
coaching at the NFL Academy. But what the problem is, is that they've never played football. So it's just this foreign yeah. concept of, wait, I can't hold on to a guy while he's going by. Like, what? This is not natural. Yeah, so, like Daniels played for six months, he told me. Exactly. And so that also just goes to show what type of athletes they're bringing over, that they train them for six months in football, and a school like Arkansas is sold on them. So yeah. we do think that is going to be one of the positive trends. I think we're going to look back in 10 years, and you're just going to see more kids coming from Europe than you are from a couple of other states in the uh, – you know, that re that really care about football. It's going to be a legit recruiting hotbed. And, you know, it's interesting to see what schools are kind of putting the uh, plan in place to, you know, and those relationships in place to recruit. And if it does become a recruiting hotbed, we're going to need a regional analyst over there to get eyes on those guys and rank them. And I think that's what Hudson is angling for right now. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. For those who don't know, that's a uh, Azed Alkmar jersey that uh, my boys at the Tejas Club gave me before the pandemic. I was actually supposed to go over there and work in the Netherlands for a soccer club, but you know, pandemic ruined that. And for a while, I was really worried about the career possibilities, but ended up in a pretty good spot. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Oh, I actually do, Mike. Uh, do you remember years. on the lot? Do you remember on the uh, last podcast when I told you that it was hard to find a Vegas line for Oklahoma softball because they were just so dominant? Yeah. By the way, can I compliment you on the uh, wonderful softball coverage you've given our readers at Orange 24-7? I know Texas softball is something you're passionate about personally, um, so I wanted to give you a, a hearty one of these for uh, for the softball coverage over there. Thanks, Mike. It's been it's been really I mean, it's been really fun. And <laughs> I think after I watched them go 0-5 at Clearwater, which is essentially the softball version of the Maui Invitational, they went 0-5 and, and in the tune-up games for that, they lost a game to Florida Gulf Coast. So seeing them go from five and seven to the best result in program history is just a testament to how tough those girls are and to how good of a you know, sorry, almost let an F-bomb slip, but how good of a freaking coach that Mike White is. Oh, my goodness. And unfortunately, what you're seeing, though, is that even as good as Texas is, and they're really damn good to get to the national championship series, there is just a little bit of a gulf. Not a little bit. There is just a lot of gulf of quality between Texas and Oklahoma. Um Mike, I know that we were kind of talking in the group chat about the game last night, but 16 to 1 is a horrible result. But I was trying to explain to people on the board, it's not embarrassing because Oklahoma does that to absolutely everybody. There's no run rule also, so a couple extra runs were tacked on when in a normal game they maybe shouldn't have. Um, but Oklahoma beat number five UCLA 15 to nothing to get here. And they do this to everybody. So I, I, I wanted to bring it back and say I wasn't lying to you about Vegas uh, respecting Oklahoma and arguably the greatest softball player ever in Jocelyn Allo. But I am so proud of Texas and what they've accomplished this year. And who knows? I mean, I know that I've kind of seemingly raised the white flag, but they beat them once earlier this year. 
Game two is tonight. Uh, tonight, hopefully, by the time that this podcast airs, people are getting ready for a game three, and who knows in a you know winner take all national title game. Put it into perspective for me, a gentleman who watched his first softball game the other night. Mm-hmm. Is, would Texas winning these two games and winning the national championship be like as much as the equivalent of like Lester winning the Premier League and USA beating the Russians? Um, like, how big would it be? It'd be it'd be a step it'd be a step below that I think just because Texas themselves are a better thought of team, but it's in that same realm of Oklahoma has only lost three games all year. One of them they were basically resting players against UCLA, and then the next game they fifteen nothing to them. They lost in the Big Twelve title game to Oklahoma State, a really good Oklahoma State team that Texas had to get twice to get here. And they lost to Texas earlier this year. So if, so if Oklahoma hadn't have lost to Texas earlier this year, maybe. But with that being said, Mike, it's just so hard to even imagine because I believe the stat is that Oklahoma's won like 26 out of the last, last 27 games against Texas. So yeah, it, it's just tough. Uh, I put it to – I will say this for those who aren't softball-focused um, – I said last night that this Oklahoma softball team is like the 2021 Georgia defense also had the 2019 Joe Burrow LSU offense. Like that's the, that's the level of squad they're at. They're one of the greatest collegiate uh, sporting teams of all time. And I get that a lot of people are like, Hey, take it to the Oklahoma softball podcast Hudson. But anyway, that's just a little, little softball talk last of the year, more than likely. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here. We appreciate you guys for listening. We appreciate you guys for playing along with us each and every week. Thank you to Taylor Estes for producing this podcast, making it uh, look good and taking that off our plates. For Hudson Standish, I always do this wrong. For Hudson Standish, I'm Mike Roach, and we'll see you guys next week.